1: Welcome to the New Books Network.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Science, Technology, and Society channel of the New Books Network podcast. I am Padma Priya Vidya Govindarajan, and I'm thrilled to host Professor Lily Chuliaraki and Professor Miria Giorgio today to chat about their new book, The Digital Border, published by NYU Press. Lily Chiliaraki is a professor of media and communication at the London School of Economics, where she also serves as the department's doctoral program director. She is the author of several books, including The Spectatorship of Suffering and the Ironic Spectator, Solidarity in the Age of Post Humanitarianism, and co-editor of the Rutledge Handbook of Humanitarian Communication. Miriam Giorgio is a professor of media and communication at the London School of Economics, where she also serves as research director. She's the author, editor, and co-editor of five books, including Diaspora, Identity and the Media, Media and the City, Cosmopolitanism and Difference, and The Sage Handbook of Media and Migration. I'm thrilled to have you both on this podcast today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Um, So to our listeners, The Digital Border is an interdisciplinary and multi-methods text that examines the role of digital technologies in constituting the border by drawing on an extensive study within the context of Europe. The first section of the book, The Territorial Border, examines continuities between the operation of sovereignty and biopolitics in the inscription of the border. The second section of the book, The Symbolic Border, pays attention to voice in a variety of ways and engages with the discursive processes of border configuration. Together, these sections pay attention to the operation of power and mediation in relation to border work and critically positions the idea of crisis within this framework. I'm very excited to delve deeper into some of these um, themes today. And so, um, let's just start by uh, discussing. This is a this is a very wonderfully comprehensive book that speaks to interdisciplinary concerns, and you both also come together from differently positioned scholarly homes. So um, I want to begin by asking you who your intended audience for the book was, and what prompted this specific conceptualization of the text. Do you,
2: do you want me to start? Sure, go ahead. Um, so yeah. To begin with, um, I'm not starting with the audience. I just wanted to say that um, the study of migration is not really a matter of one discipline only. Migration is itself a very complex social phenomenon, and so, uh, you know, if we want to start unraveling that complexity, we need to have multiple perspectives, Um, and that is what we did with our book, the kind of the digital uh, border. Um, so, some of those perspectives that we, um, that inform our book um, are, for instance, um, media studies to see how migration intersects with uh, mediation. Um, specifically, we drew um, quite a lot on datafication studies about the role of artificial intelligence um, in, as a site of uh, biopolitical control. Um, journalism studies and how symbolic processes of storytelling themselves operate as an act of bordering, for instance. International relations, um, which actually helped us see the border as a process rather than as a static point in, in, in space. Uh, and more critical migration studies and particularly critical race studies, which inspired our own understanding of migrants as agentive themselves not as passive subjects of processes of control, but as people who, for whom mobility is a project of self-actualization. Um, so, you know, if, if you think about the way in which um, we brought all these different disciplinary voices into our project and and uh, kind of put them together to tell a story that's comprehensive and 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 complex in terms of how the border the digital border works we cannot really at the same time speak about one specific audience in one discipline um or or one particular uh, uh, section of a, of a general public um we i think we basically uh, want to speak to everyone who is interested in studying my migration, technology and the power relations of the two um, in in the context of human mobility. So our audience, uh, I I think, is certainly um, students and scholars across the social sciences and the humanities, but also it's NGO professionals and activists who work with migrants on the ground. And I would say journalists and public communication experts who, who, you know, are professionals basically of storytelling and who I believe could benefit from our own insights on the the kind of border work um, uh, that uh, journalistic narratives, for instance, uh, perform. Um, And also perhaps help them to reflect on the stories. Um, You know, we write about refugees and migrants. So I would say, you know, a general audience um, that um, encompasses um, a a whole range of different professions and, 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 and
0: people. Um, Maria do you want to thank you so much for that Um, Maria
1: do you want to add to that yes I think this uh, Lily put it very uh, uh, very um, uh, precisely and I think helpfully um, in relation to how we're thinking about the contribution of the book and also of our audiences I think one important point to raise is that when we talk about migration and more and more also when we talk about the way that media and communications shape migration both through representations and also experiences of transnational mobility we're not talking anymore about a specialized field. We're not talking anymore about a subject that is addressing uh, a, a specific group of scholars or students. We're talking about migration now as one of the fundamental problematics through which public uh, and social imaginaries are shaped, at least, uh, at least in the global north, uh, public imaginaries that uh, relate to how we conceive uh, ideas of. Of identity and of who we are. And of course, who we are always uh, comes in quotation marks and who the others are. And again, the others come in quotation marks. So these are questions that we think that touch upon different disciplines, as Lily said. And also there are questions that we think and we deeply are committed to Uh, In bringing uh, 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 to audiences across social sciences and humanities, because they touch upon so many of the issues that we address in relation to technology, in relation to society, culture, and political participation in diverse societies.
0: Thank you. That's such an expansive um, set of conversations that you uh, bring together and speak to as well. Um, So uh, in this rather rich discussion of the border as a techno symbolic assemblage that relies on a network of mediation, could you unpack um, as you understand it, what do you mean by mediation? Um, And perhaps go deeper into your concepts of mediation, remediation, uh, intermediation and transmediation.
2: Um, yeah, maybe I can start and, and then maybe can kind of um, uh, come into um, uh, my answer. So, um, um, mediation uh, for us um, helped us link the two dimensions of of the border work that occurs around migrant mobility so if we think about what happens with when people move across borders um, there are processes of control of stopping them and, um, and and checking whether they are worth the entrance or not in um, in the na- nation state and specifically we're talking now about western nation states and and Europe uh, uh, and more particularly since this was the case Study of our, of our own book. So, how do you con- we conceptualize that idea of the border, border work? And mediation is precisely that concept that enabled us to capture um, um, th- that work in its expansiveness and, and complexity. Um, So mediation on the one hand refers to border work as it happens through, for instance, traditional technologies of the border, such as the passport, it's also a form of mediation, or more recent um, uh, bordering technologies like, for instance, artificial intelligence uh, methods and techniques of finger and eye uh, identification um, and uh, how these in a way um, uh, render Uh, the process of checking who is the worthy or not worthy um, entrant um, uh, in more subtle and and more corporeal ways uh, than in the past. And we talk about uh, those processes that have to do with um, the technologies of mediation as uh, technologies of um, the territorial border. uh, They're usually um, um, uh, encountered uh, right there where Uh, you know, um, the entry point uh, into the nation state is. But border work also occurs beyond that. Uh, It works, for instance, through storytelling, as I said earlier, whether this is through news narratives or images on our mobile phones uh, or bigger screens. Um, And so it is that duality of the the technological and the symbolic that we try to capture. Um, Helpful here for us in our theorization of mediation um, is Roger Silverstone's concept, who thought of mediation as a dual process of articulation. That's how he he phrases it. And he says that that articulation, that connection brings together on the one hand um, technologies that is um, the affordances of different media as they enable circulation of different content across space and time but also he said that articulation brings together that technological infrastructure those affordances always with meaning making processes with what we call the symbolic right everything that has to do with texts either um linguistic as i said or or visual so for us mediation is, is 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 that um basic process of border work um that encompasses all um, kind of techno acts through which a boundary between inside and outside is produced and and, and, and reinforced through different techniques as the ones I mentioned um, I mentioned earlier. Um, it also helped us uh, conceptualize the border, not as something that happens, as I said, in a specific territoriality, but as something that can happen absolutely everywhere from, uh, you know, the kind of a, 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 a neighborhood in a major um, um, uh, city of Europe, whether it's London, Berlin, or, uh, or Athens, uh, something that happens as we are in the living room and and, and watching the news or scrolling our phone and we're coming across different images that portray migrants and refugees in ways that other them and dehumanize them um, to uh, the ways in which um, different state institutions, for instance, reproduce those boundaries between us and them through the, through the different technologies of, for instance, job interviews or health checks or, or, or educational evaluations, et cetera, et cetera, that are there in order precisely to create those distinctions between us and them and create the worthy versus the non-worthy um, um, citizen or, or, or entrant into, uh, into the nation state. Maybe do you want to um, contribute to, to
1: this, maybe? Um, I, I think uh, I think that's fine. I think I'm, uh, I will be coming in
0: with other responses very soon. Okay, um, thank you so much. So in lots of ways then, your book is making a comment on digital technologies and it's making a comment on the concept of the digital itself in relation to the border. And so, Um, Your book simultaneously draws attention to the ways in which um, the border operates more expansively than one may imagine, but at the same time, it very firmly resists this idea of the border as this all-encompassing system of control. So uh, from this analysis, how does thinking from the perspective of the operation of the border allow you to think of the digital itself conceptually in more nuanced ways? Mm um
1: if i may start and again maybe i'm sure yeah. will come in um it's uh, I think that's an interesting question. And in many ways, uh, we uh, have been forced uh, through, our, um, through the topic of the book and through our research perspective to move away from conceptions of the digital as a thing, uh, as something uh, that exists, but rather we see uh, the digital as a process, as a process that engages communication and engages different actors and discourses. So um, so what we did was to uh, conduct a project which was generated, as we have uh, talked already, uh, from uh, our concerns and our questions in relation to the enactment of the border. What does the border mean now and how does it separate people, territories and uh, and ideas? To do that, we engaged with um, uh, different actors and we studied different discourses. So uh, the first uh, point that is worth making here then to understanding the digital was our uh, commitment and our attempt to recognize the meanings of the uh, of, uh, of digitization rather than um, the existence of the digital as something distinct. And we try to understand the meanings of digitization by engaging with different actors and by analyzing different discourses that construct the border, as Lily just said, uh, symbolically through the different mediations of the border, but also territorially by speaking to the different actors that experience the border through their phones, through the technologies of surveillance and control. So that uh, that engagement with different methods, with different uh, actors and discourses of the digital border, forced us to move beyond the techno determinism, where we uh, uh, where we didn't have. Uh, uh, the choice, but to understand again how the digital is uh, involves processes, relations of power, and instabilities, and that's the last point that I think you raised also in your questions in relation to the uh, border as a system of control, but uh, which is also resisted. So actually, by seeing and studying systematically and doing so over many years, uh, uh, the uh, uh, the formulation of the digital border, we were able to see how technology how the digital becomes a system of governance, governance of bodies, governance of territories, governance uh, uh, of ideological frames, but always remaining subjected to systems of resistance and different articulations and different appropriations of the uh, the infrastructures of the border. Um, So the actors uh, that are engaged um, uh, in the digital border, either by making it and ensuring it, such as border guards or media professionals and others who are experiencing the border through uh, the technologies of control, they are all also making the meaning of the border through their particular engagement with digital technologies and through the ways that they make meaning of these technologies. So our conception of the border could not but be open ended um, um, and in many ways recognizes uh, recognizing uh, both the agentive and the discursive construction of technology.
2: Um, do you wanna add Lily, or should we? Uh, no, 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 I think
0: I think that was a very comprehensive and eloquent okay. answer. Great. Yeah, thank you yeah. so much, I would agree. Um, and so, especially since you brought up this idea of resistance, maybe we can sit with that for a little bit. So um, in your book, uh, specifically in relation to your coinage of compassionate activism, which I thought was very interesting, um, and your skillful articulation of migrant agency throughout the book, resistance becomes a very key theme in your case studies and across them. So what are the metrics through which you evaluated resistance um, in this book?
1: Maria, would you like to... I'm sure I, I can go first and I, I I found this question quite provocative, especially in relation to your invite to think about uh, the matrix of resistance. Um, the way that we think about resistance as an important category relates both to our theoretical framework and also to our methodological. Approach and empirical uh, investigations. So, to start from theory, and as um, uh, Lily explained already in relation to mediation, we understand the process of mediation as a process. And as I said myself uh, just a few minutes ago, we understand mediation as a process that involves different actors and networks, which uh, are always situated in specific spaces, in specific temporalities, uh, and uh, within specific systems of power this understanding of our theoretical uh, uh, framework provokes uh, us uh, uh, to think about resistance as a fundamental element of any relations of power so of course uh, as many of our listeners will know that uh, you know uh, famously uh, we have the foucauldian um, uh, thesis of uh, 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 that says that where there is power there's resistance then uh, we developed a methodology which allows us to be open and able to understand those uh, different forms of resistance. So our methodology involved a multi-method approach which uh, involved uh, research with different actors of the border and with different discourses, uh, as we said. Um, Giving space uh, to different actors and to different voices to participate and to speak about their story, to have their storytelling of the border inevitably Uh, uh, led to this rich data. So the empirical findings, the third part that I want to emphasize of our research that made it impossible for us to think about the power of the border without thinking about resistance. Now, if we think about metrics, uh, it's very difficult if we think especially uh, about metrics in quantitative terms, it's very difficult to quantify resistance to the border. Because very often resistance is invisible, uh, very often it is nuanced, uh, very often is marginalized and unseen. And it's unseen both in the way that the border is enacted, but very often also in our research. Very often we, we ignore and we um, marginalize further different forms of resistance because they are not easily identifiable, because they are not easily uh, recognizable based on some of the conventional methods approaches that we take. So it was very important for us to hear those different voices, even when they're marginal, even when they're silenced, even when um, resistance is nuanced. For example, you can see resistance in cities, in a city such as Berlin, when people do uh, gardening together, they create those public gardens where they produce, uh, um, uh, uh, they engage in urban gardening as a form of resistance, conviviality reality uh, uh, and, and a coexistence in the city, where different people who uh, are otherwise separated by a system that uh, uh, grants certain uh, uh, urban Uh, actors the right to be full citizens and deprives others from the right to have any presence because they're deemed illegal or undocumented and not having the right to the city and let alone the right to the nation. So we were very sensitive and that was an ethical commitment and I I think uh, an ethical commitment to research practice that en- uh, engages with any marginalized populations that um, um, adapts uh, uh, theoretical takes and adapts methodological takes that leaves space and opens up space for alternative storytelling, for different voices and different practices to, uh, 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 to to be part of the story. Again, a story that is so much about governance and power but a story that always involves different actors of resistance.
2: If I may come into this, uh, Padma, I'm not sure if I can do that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I just wanted to um, to um, move the concept of resistance a little bit away from the conceptualization that we have used in the book and which I think Miria captured that ac- very accurately uh, right now in her own description. Um, uh, resistance um, as it is uh, embodied and performed by the actors of migration uh, themselves and to talk a little bit about how um, our... Um, Uh, our own uh, story, our own uh, contribution, and specifically uh, the work that we have done in the last chapter of the book that's called the... crisis as an imaginary or the uh, crisis imaginary, uh, might also enable something like forms of critical reading, some kind of civic resistance also on behalf of all of us who are engaging um, the, the texts and narratives of, of, um, uh, of migration, as I said earlier, you know, in our screens, multiply in our screens. So for instance, um, the European migration event in 2015 uh, was immediately named the Crisis for Europe. Um, The same, I think, with Trump's rhetoric on the US Mexico border. And uh, in Australia, I know that the term crisis is regularly coming up in public discourse as a political device to legitimize particular policies um, against migration. So part of what, what we wanted to do um, in the book as a form of kind of, you know, civic, uh, a technique of civic resistance is to problematize that idea of speaking about migration as a crisis, um, an idea that we call imaginary in the book we talk talk about it as a crisis imaginary, um, as I said. And the term refers here to a whole way of, of speaking and thinking about migration, not just specific texts or images, but what we may call a, a sphere of the thinkable that regulates how we see and process migration uh, in ways that makes it very difficult for all of us uh, to go beyond it and think about migration as something else than a crisis, right, to to, to rethink or reimagine migration away from that um, uh, impulse to an urgent protection of ourselves against them. Um, So um, the European crisis imaginary, for instance, legitimized a narrative of migration as an uncontrollable wave of people who came out of nowhere. There were no uh, causal connections, for instance, with uh, the ongoing war in Syria at the time. Um, And it was a a wave that pushed the limits of the European continent, continent to an unprecedented and unacceptable extent. So it was, as I said, something that nation states needed to protect themselves from and close themselves off and stop it, and violently if necessary. So you know, I think as, as, as citizens, uh, we as authors and everyone else who kind of is on board our argument in the book, um, uh, uh, this particular chapter is also an invitation to start thinking about the ways in which those big issues are framed uh, in, in public discourse, because it's not only what they, they show immigration to be, but, but, but it is, um, at the same time, also what um, um, these imaginaries hide from you, um, what they enable to fall below the radar, if you like, of our critical faculties. For instance, in the Mediterranean at the moment, what is, is, is kept um, frantically below um, that threshold of visibility, if you like, is death by pushbacks um as the EU, um, um, you know, kind of naval forces uh, turn a blind eye to see travelers in distress, or they aggressively push them back and away from uh, the shores of Europe and, and back into, you know, uh, the Turkish uh, um, uh, shores. So... Um, it is exactly that kind of play between visibility and invisibility of migration. Which sides are we allowed to see? Which are we not allowed to see? And, 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 and how can we problematize that whole imaginary about migration, which as I said, for us, it is the crisis. imaginary. there may be others. Um, how can we as citizens problematize them? And, and that is, I think, an important part of resistance for us as readers and as citizens.
0: Thank you so much. That was such a rich set of answers. And you folded in other questions I had as well about what the value of crisis as an imaginary was in, in your provocation to put this book together. So that was such a... Uh, the attention to detail in the answers itself um, is characteristic of the attention to detail in the books. So thank you so much. Um, So, but building on that though, uh, so to what extent would you say your theorization of the border is shaped by the location of these studies within Europe? And so the way you spoke to the generalizability of crisis beyond Europe, um, could you speak to the generalizability of your understanding of the digital border as well beyond this context?
1: Maria? um i can i can start and i'm sure lily uh, will have other ideas as well um <laughs> in many ways um it is, uh, it is a depressing finding to uh, to see uh, that um, the digital border, even though in our book, we empirically focus to the European case, it has a generalizability. It has a relevance uh, to many other territories of the world. I should be, of course, uh, careful to talk about uh, generalizability in an unquestionable way. Because, of course, uh, we have to be reminded that borders are very much uh, situated, as we mentioned already before, within specific spaces, Uh, temporalities, and the histories, of course, in different regions of the world of how people have moved across borders and when they have been allowed uh, to move or not varies enormously. However, even though we cannot talk about generalizability in a, in a very superficial term, there's a relevance, um, uh, we believe, of how we understand the digital border uh, to territories across the world. And th- th- there are many ways, I think, to see uh, this, uh, this relevance. First of all, what Lily was just talking about, those imaginaries of migration as a crisis. So we have a a transnationalization of those imaginaries where migration now is considered as a crisis, as something out of the ordinary. There's an irony there and a a significant problem, of course, in thinking of migration as a crisis, because in many ways, it fully decontextualizes transnational human mobility. So migration, of course, uh, goes back to the beginning of human history and it has always been part of the way that humans, uh, the humanity has developed. However, For many different reasons, and because uh, uh, we're experiencing those times where we have uh, an intensification of those imagined or real crises in the world, migration has become a problem, that out of the ordinary crisis. So unfortunately, this is a problematic that we see uh, spreading around the world. And of course, it's not spreading evenly around the world. It's primarily dominant in countries uh, which are more powerful, uh, um, most significantly in the global north, uh, which sees itself uh, under attack from people who are moving uh, supposedly en masse. um, And we see many misrepresentations here. Uh, The global north and especially uh, uh, powerful centers such as the US, such as Europe, Uh, see the mobility of people across borders, especially those originating uh, from the global south as a threat. So this is a a, a socio-political phenomenon that we need to understand globally. So there's a relevance of thinking about the border um, uh, uh, from a transnational uh, and global lens. Uh, The other uh, uh, relevance of... um, thinking about the digital border transnationally relates to technologies, technologies of bordering and control. Um, There are some very simple facts here that uh, make the digital border relevant across borders. Uh, Most significantly, we have the same uh, technological infrastructures and very often we have the same corporations um, uh, uh, governing and uh, um, performing the border across the world. So we have the same corporations that work in um, uh, American borders now working on European borders. We have the same uh, uh, technologies being mobilized across the world. We have AI technologies uh, being mobilized, for example, in Europe and also in Australia. And we also have new phenomena where we see collaborations uh, between states across the world. So now we have networks, as we briefly discuss in the book as well, we have networks of countries, which by uh, uh, most of them, of course, are based in the global north, uh, which are combining their know-how, they're combining their databases so that they can more effectively control their borders. So unfortunately, the border is not contained in Europe. Unfortunately, the border is not even contained in the US or within specific places of the global north. The digital border is now global.
0: That's so well put. Um, And uh, you offer such a delicate balance of broader theorization and contextualized detail um, in in tracking the way these processes unfold. Um, And especially since your methods range from like Uh, immersive local interviews to case studies to media analysis. Maybe we could speak a little bit about the craft of putting together the book. Uh, What rationale did you use to decide when to scale back in your analysis or when to get more granular because you have such an expansive amount of data you're drawing on? Um, And what are the discussions that you wish you had been able to address in more detail in the book? Because I feel like books are never completely written and you always want to write more?
2: Well, if I may start and, and then Miria can, can come into this, I would say, I think I think the fundamental thing here is um, that both Miria and I are, are what I would call dialectical thinkers. And this means that we grasp the realities of migration as historical phenomena that need to be understood in the specific uh, context. But at the same time, we grasp the same phenomena as theoretical challenges. For instance, about how security regimes work in global governance or um, um, how a migrant representations are, are caught between a kind of binary of uh, migrants as victims or migrants as, uh, as threats. Um, there's a large literature on that, for instance. Or again, as I just mentioned earlier, how dominant narratives of migration um, work as social imaginaries, the imaginary of crisis. So these are kind of different theoretical frameworks and and debates uh, that we have been um, engaging in as we were at the same time addressing um, um, uh, migration as a historical phenomenon in that specific context of the European um, uh, of, of, of Europe in uh, 2015. Um, so, um, in our analysis, then, and further theorizing, uh, we tried to keep the two, the, the, the historical and the empirical, and on the other hand, the, the theoretical, in constant tension. Uh, this means that we did not uh, impose theoretical frameworks on our data. Um, Nor, however, did we take for granted whatever came up from our data on our first contact with the empirical material that we had in front of us. And that tension, that critical tension between the two, I think is is a kind of the fertile ground for productive um, theorizing. So to keep this tension going throughout, we employed a range of methods, as as Miria just said earlier, you know um she did a lot of ethnographic and uh, extensive ethnographic work uh, throughout europe we did uh, uh, ethnographic observations and interviews also inside in a, in, a, in one of the in a, one of the greek islands um as migrants were coming in in t- 2015 so we had those um, um, fieldwork notes, we had interviews. We also did extensive discourse analysis and content quantitative text analysis on uh, a large uh, number of um, texts, uh, journalistic texts, uh, whether um, it were reports or there were uh, photojournalism, so images uh, from the migration crisis, so to speak, in quotation marks. and um, all of these and different methodologies and the different points of entry into the historical realities of migration helped us to revisit, if you like, the same big questions of the book uh, from a different but related, complementary, and sometimes kind of um, tenuous perspective. And it was precisely this back and forth between the granular, as you said it, and and the grand or the overarching that held our own assumptions and presuppositions in check as we went along. and it was precisely that tension again that also helped us establish the bigger patterns of our narrative. For instance, the distinction of the border between, you know, in, in, in the two, artic- in its two articulatory modes on the one hand, the technological and on the other, the symbolic or the um, duality of agency and subjection. So that the border is not only about control. What we saw in our data was time and again, all these agentive kind of acts on behalf of migrants and refugees to claim uh, personhood, to claim uh, self-expression, to claim their own creativity and their own civic space within um, the, the, the countries they, they arrived and um and so um so yeah i would say it's dialectics it's precisely that critical tension um it is it is the multi um, method approach that we used and the mo- mo- you know the multiple uh, analytical perspectives that that we brought into our data and of course the driving question throughout was the question of power the question of how the border creates distinctions between inside outside between deserving and undeserving Um, um, Entrance between those who should come in and and should be accepted and those who are excluded, what are the principles, what are the criteria, and how are they reconfigured in the different power relations as the border itself moves uh, from one context to another, from one space time to another.
0: Thank you. Maria. do you want to add anything to that? No, I think that
1: was a brilliant <laughs> capture of the uh, spirit of the book.
0: Yeah, it was phenomenal. And it uh, really gave me an understanding of how it is that you were thinking through these complexities and, and putting them together and bringing them in conversation as well. Um, I think that's mostly the set of questions I have uh, in with relation to the book. So just before we conclude then, um, could I ask you, what are your upcoming projects, maybe together or separately? What are you working on right now? Um, Satashi since the book came out at the beginning of the summer, so what has been happening since?
2: Yeah, do you, do you want Salai? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, I just wanted to say, now we're not doing something um, common. I mean, the common thing was the book that we just did, but we are always in in conversation about our, you know, future projects and, and the change idea. I mean, you know, as I said, we are dialectical thinkers and we kind of keep that creative tension, not only within our work, but also between ourselves. But just to talk a little bit about my own, I'm I'm a scholar of of, of mediated vulnerability. So I'm interested in human suffering as a problem of communication. um, How do we represent bodies in need on paper or on screen? What are the histories of these mediations? But also importantly, what are the implications of mediated suffering for the sufferers themselves themselves and for those who witness uh, their pain from uh, a distance. Um, and for the and, and, and the implications in terms of the interchangeability of who is the witness, the person who witnesses and who is the person who is uh, suffering. So um, the digital border fell directly into this broad domain of my interests. Um, And my current book does the same, but it is now kind of moving into the the domain of uh, victimhood in in Western societies rather than in the kind of intersection of the global South and the global North. So it's a book that I have tentatively named uh, Wronged, The Cultural Politics of Victimhood. Now, of course, victimhood is a topic that many people have written about, but my specific entry point in this book is the political work that victimhood does today to create worthy sufferers and unworthy sufferers, in short, to create hierarchies of vulnerability that ultimately benefit the establishment that is already protected and not those who are structurally open to violence. So in a critical historical moment of post-recession and post-pandemic neoliberalism, where people around the world suffer the consequences of economic energy and climate crisis, not to mention in Europe, the consequences of the war, much of the struggle over power that takes place in our public spheres is about who suffers the most, with the far right making the loudest and perhaps the most politically efficacious claims to victimhood. The most recent example of that being perhaps the Roe versus Wade overturning in the name of the unborn child as a pure victim. So the book is a reflection on that, an attempt to kind of delineate and disentangle everything that's going on in this process of claiming victimhood in the public sphere, especially with social media platforms. But also it is a kind of a a warning maybe or a call to think uh, collectively more critically about victimhood. Because um, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a claim, it does not only create cultures of compassion, but
0: equally easily
2: it can create cultures of cruelty.
0: That's so well put. Thank you. That sounds like an exciting project. I look forward to that. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Um, Maria. Um, yes, I've been,
1: uh, I've been also working on a separate uh, book and a separate project. As Lily said, we haven't been working together, but we have been reading each other's work and that, uh, uh, it has been a really exciting, uh, productive process as well. So I'm not as advanced with my own book uh, as Lily. So, uh, my, my thinking is still work in progress, but, um, Um, The book I'm working on at the moment uh, has some commonalities and some important difference from the book that we just completed with Lily. So the the important commonality, which I think comes from my fundamental um, uh, concerns with understanding the relationship between Humanity, technology, and power relates to that question about what kind of humans are constructed in the intensely digitized environments which we occupy, and in many ways the book The Digital Border has been driven by this question. Um, I'm bringing this question now and in this new project to cities and cities that we consider very often as digital cities, asking the questions about what kind of humans are constructed. within the digital city and by promoting those projects of intensified and systematic uh, digitization in the city. The uh, the core argument that I'm, I'm trying to make is that what we now see in relation to these technologized urban environments is a shift away from uh, uh, earlier projects of smart cities, which were very much driven by techno-determinism and they were very much much embedded in the ideology of the neoliberal city, where technology is used to increase uh, profit, growth, and individualization. And we're moving into a new post-neoliberal phase of technologized cities, where those narratives of the de- uh, techno-determinism and, uh, uh, and neoliberal growth have been under attack. They have been under attack from the right and the rise of right-wing populism, but they have been also under attacked from the left and the progressive forces that are protesting against the dehumanization of people um, uh, 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 on uh, along the lines of uh, race, gender, sexual inequalities and so on. So uh, what I'm saying is that what we see now is a transformation of those projects of technologized cities into projects that are less about technology and more about different claims to humanity. And what I'm trying to explore here through uh, empirical research, of course, and my research has always been driven by empirical research on the ground, is to to explore what I have been seeing on the one hand on the hegemonic discourses of digital cities uh, that very much claim that we can have more human cities through technologies, but also the counter narratives of how we need more humane cities and more inclusive cities, more just cities, and explore how technology. Uh, um, does advance and sometimes uh, hinder this process. And I do these interrogations through my empirical research and then uh, I conclude uh, uh, to a normative perspective where I'm calling for an understanding of digital cities and digital lives through the lens of critical humanism. And I will leave it here and, uh, and that's a kind of cliffhanger, and hopefully uh, people will be more interested in reading it once the time comes to have the book. Uh, right.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm definitely intrigued and it already sounds rather developed as well. Um, thank you both so much for participating in this interview. And I urge all the listeners to pick up their copy of The Digital Border, which should be out in bookstores right now. And um, thank you all for listening. Thank you
2: so thank much. You. Thank you.